Transformationist is dedicated to real stories of transformation and the insights and actions that make it possible. Our guests share from their own stories, the strategies and experiences that can help you shape transformation in your own life. Whether you are changing your mind, responding to change, or designing a life different from what you have right now, my hope is that these stories will inspire you and help you on the way. Hi, I'm Tash McGill, and welcome to The Transformationist. Hello Transformationists, it's Tash here and this is our wrap-up episode of Season 1, which is pretty exciting. Uh, I think this is going to be Episode 12 um, of what has been a little baby project of mine for a really long time. So it's exciting to um, have it come to fruition and be kind of a done thing that's ready to get wrapped up, put a bow on it and put it underneath the Christmas tree, uh, so to speak. That's a little bit of seasonal comedy for you. Um, But I wanted to tell you a little bit about the story of the Transformation. Transformationist and and really where it came from. Uh, one of the unique experiences I had as a as a teenager was being asked to write uh, my own eulogy and to explain what I would want people to say about me and about my life uh, at the end of it, which is kind of morbid when you're uh, maybe 15 years old to think about the end of life. Uh, I took about 10 minutes to write that assignment, uh, and I wrote this. Uh, I want to be remembered for helping people change the way they think. And that really is one of the core themes um, of my life, of my professional work, uh, and also of this podcast, right? That if we can change the way we think about something, that can help us change the way we live and respond uh, to the world around us, and that results in transformation. Um, If you uh, come from any kind of evangelical background, uh, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, And whilst that's um, certainly a pretty decent religious principle to live by, it's also kind of real truth uh, when it comes to how the brain works. That as we change the way we think and as we change the way we behave, that uh, transforms, reforms uh, neural pathways in our mind that actually literally renew our brains, which is kind of exciting. So the genesis of the Transformationist podcast for me was wanting to dive into telling these stories about how people uh, experience transformation, how they experience change, whether they do it intentionally or in response to circumstances around them. And so there have been three kind of key stories that we've told this season. Uh, One has been um, stories of people changing their mind, simply uh, realizing that, that, that the thoughts or beliefs that they had were not helping them live the kind of life they wanted to. And so we explored some of those uh, stories. We also explored uh, what happens as people have to respond to when change is sort of thrust upon them. Um, And Libby Moon's episode really stands out to me. broken hearts and baking bread um, as one of those stories of how we respond um, when something forces us to change the way that we've been living. Uh, And then one of the other stories that we've started to explore, and we're going to do even more of that in season two, is this idea of transformation as a process, that transformation is actually happening all around us in the physical world um, and in the the social world that we live in. Uh, And I'm excited to look next season at even more stories of business leadership, of world economics, 
economics, uh, of processes of science and hospitality, um, to see what we can learn about change and transformation in our own lives um, to apply that. But all that being said, the point of this episode is to kind of do a little bit of a look back. It's a quick highlights, if you might, uh, if you might think that way. And also to introduce you to someone who's really been a partner with me in the whole process. Um, whilst, you know, it's fun to think of, of a podcast hosts secluding themselves away in a small room and talking to people over the internet, um, the reality is is that it wouldn't have happened uh, and it wouldn't have come together in the way that it has without the, the help and support of the remarkable producer, Michael Yoda. So welcome, Michael. Oh, it's so good to be here, Tosh. So good to be here. <laughs> I feel like you've been behind the scenes and actually part of every single episode that we've made this season. Ah, well, that's that's what it feels like. <laughs> Partly because uh, I, I get to do these interviews and then send them send them to you and and we shape them up together and then put them out into the world. Um, and one of the things I've super enjoyed has been the the um, the the repartee and the banter backwards and forwards as we've um, as we've kind of made these episodes. So firstly, thank you so much for being part of the process this season. I've I've truly appreciated your work and uh, without you the whole thing wouldn't have sounded anywhere near as as good as it did. So so cheers. Thanks a lot. Here's to you. Ah, it's a pleasure to be doing this with you and thanks for putting up with all my antics of telling you to get a pop filter and giving you critiques every single episode about how we can make this thing better. <laughs> See, I like what you've done there, which is now stealthily taking credit for every improvement <laughs> that people have noticed in the show this season. Thanks a lot. That's great. Anything that has gone well, you can uh, thank me. Anything poorly, you have Tasha's email address. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's I don't care at the transformationist.org. <laughs> No, I do care, actually. Seriously, I do. And I am going to make a point about that later. Um, okay, so let's let's begin then. Um, what I would love to know is, like, if you had to pick one episode that stands out to you in terms of something that, that you're like, man, that was, that was quality content and there was something that you took away from it, which episode would that be? Uh, without a doubt, and, like, it's not even close for me, was, and you actually mentioned this one in your intro, is uh, the Libby Moon episode. Table has the the concept and the idea of table has just transformed my life, and so to hear someone else speak about it in such a powerful and personal way, it, I just really, really connected with that. You know, and as human beings, we're always going to, at some point in our life, experience loss and grief. It's going to sweep over us like a wind. And I, and I also sat at a table with my friends and I wept because it was so hard for me to sit at those tables. I cried because to sit at that table was so beautiful but also painful. They just stood up and put their arms around me. And that was, that was I think, that moment where I, where I realised how much the table meant to me. Through all this process of grief, I never stopped creating and I think that's so important and that's what it's all about. It's about creating because when you create, you're building something and you're building something fresh and new and you can step into it. Yeah, that was, um, you know, I'm amazed that that episode, uh, I'm a bit of a stats junkie and that episode, it was incredible to see people 
um, downloading it and then responding to it um, and responding to it from all sorts of places around the world, which was really interesting. Um, that one, uh, that episode took us into Germany and took us into Sweden and took us into the Philippines. It was really amazing to see people um, kind of uh, talking about it. And I think like so, um, I was speaking with Libby after that episode. And she talked about how it was, uh, in some respects, really, um, you know, uh, quite uh, kind of traumatic to relive mm. it all again, but then also um, a healing kind of a thing to be able to reflect on what that journey, you know, has been like. And I don't know about you, but I have been, um, you know, a, a little bit obsessed with um, whether or not I should get my own sort of sourdough kit going on also. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to eat bread a lot, but that made me want to eat a ton of bread. You had you had some kind of awesome quote in there, and I hate to give you too much credit. And maybe it wasn't <laughs> even you, but you said something something along the lines of the table has to be strong enough to hold good conversation and good food or something like that. Do you remember what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, the table has to be strong enough to carry not just the weight of what is laid on it, but the weight of conversation that happens around it. Come on, that is good. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks. Well, the thing is, I the table has been, um, this was interesting to uncover, you know, we were only like halfway through the season and to uncover that you and I have this commonality around the table. And I think actually when you start to have conversations with people, there are a lot of people for whom, you know, the table is more than just a place that you sit down to eat, but it's a place where, you know, families gather around. I don't know um, if I've if I've shared this with you, but for um, a number of years I did, it started as um, Thursday night dinners where I would um, make a practice of inviting people to my house have and cooking a meal for them and doing that every Thursday night. And it was a way of staying in contact and, and communication and spending quality time with people that I didn't necessarily get to see, you know, day in, day out. Um, and then over over time that morphed into Monday night dinners. And um, before I before I kind of moved most of my life here to the US, um, if I, for about four years, every Monday night at my house, there were people for dinner. And, and oftentimes it would be people that I barely knew or um, a friend would say, hey, this person would be interested in coming along. And oftentimes the people who would gather around that table didn't know each other from Adam. But it was a really interesting opportunity to see people meet, to see their commonalities, to see their differences, but to foster relationship and to foster honesty and authenticity. And I've always been driven a little bit mad by uh it felt like for a little while my circle of friends kind of got into a rhythm to be fair I possibly was an instigator in this rhythm of you know we'd say oh let's catch up let's catch up and then we'd we'd kind of we'd kind of just default to going to a restaurant or going to a bar um where you know there's always that kind of thing of oh yeah um I'm gonna spend money on a meal or you're getting rushed from you know you sit down for a table sitting and they want to move you on you know strictly 90 minutes later or all that kind of stuff and so I loved the idea of putting into practice in my own life this rhythm and ritual of hospitality and and it not always being you know the same people that you sit down with but actually um, trying to propagate relationships within my community um, so there were lots of things in that in that episode um, with Libby that that really spoke to me so I I'm, love it <laughs> 
Um, okay, so obviously, are you are you a little bit of a closet romantic? Because there was definitely some heartbreaking and and emotion in that episode. No, well, I do like um, rom coms a lot, but no, I am not a closet romantic by any means. I just love the. So for me, table kind of transformed my life. Um, I don't know if I told you this either. So three years ago, I hiked the Camino de Santiago for the first time. Uh, I went with a group oh. of students. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, that's on my that is on my bucket list. I have a birthday coming up in a couple of years, which may or may not have a significant number attached to it. Yeah, and and twenty five. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the that's one of the things that I'm planning that I'm planning to do sometime around that birthday. Um, Just as do it. A, yeah, I'm very excited about doing it. I've had a number of friends who've done it. So, well, part of the trip, I took some students, and then I went back the next year with my wife. Um, so I've I've been on the Camino twice. Um, but the thing that drew me to table was, uh, when we went with students, we served in a hostel for the first part of our experience over there. And so every night we would be in charge of cooking the meal and then sitting at a giant table with the pilgrims, which are the people hiking on the Camino. So you would have everyone from all over the world, all different walks of life, all religions, all tribes, all tongues. Some didn't speak like there was barely rarely a night where everyone spoke the same language and we were all around this table and i don't know for listeners out there i don't know what you identify as heaven or whatever whatever it is like i i thought like this is the closest picture of heaven on earth that i've ever seen in my life and then to translate that back into my own life coming back from that experience i wanted to be a part of places that continued to make bigger tables instead of smaller tables and so it looked a lot like leaving pla- leaving people in places that didn't have room for others at the table and then going to places that had a giant table where everyone is welcome to sit at. And so just table has been, I even made, when we bought our new house, I made my own table. Um, it's a giant table where I like to host, not often as you do, Tosh, it sounds like, but and I would love to get in that rhythm, but just just the symbolism and the actual thing of a table just has, it really has transformed my life. Man, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Uh, Speaking of other transformational um, experiences and ones that have come out of this podcast, um, I am still in the, just yesterday morning, um, I think I um, shared with you um, a text message that I got from a, from a friend who's been going through some, some hard stuff lately. And he sent me a message to say he was listening to the episode with um, Daryl Bracken, which is just a, like just a couple of episodes back, episode 10. And he said that it was really helping him in the space that he was in um, and that it felt like talking to, uh, having a good chat with a friend who who gets it and understands what you're going through. And that's probably been one of the other um, standout kind of experiences for me being able to um, interview and talk mm. with um, people who have experienced, um, you know, two really vastly different kind of stories, but when it comes to mental mental wellness and mental health, and that was um, episode nine with Julia Grace, um, Beautiful Survivor, and then episode 10 with Daryl, Locker Room Talk. Um, or maybe it was episode eight and episode nine. I get confused with the episodes now. Um, but, um, but one of the things that continues to amaze me, and I don't, 
I mean, I think I think there's been a little bit of conversation about it here in the US um, where the idea of mental health and talking about mental health as less of a taboo subject is kind of becoming, you know, it's becoming more and more okay and more and more part of the common everyday vernacular. But certainly um, in New Zealand where I'm from, um, that's something that we've been on a journey as a, I think as a, as a culture in the last couple of years, you know, we're really concerned about suicide rates and we're concerned about mental wellness and what that means for for the rest of our communities, and that that just those two episodes really stand out. Um, partly because of the feedback that came in of people saying, "Yeah, I relate to this, and this is helpful for me, and this does feel like a story that that I can relate to um, in a more personal way." Um, what did you think? Of, what did you think of, of of that little dive into some New Zealandness right there? I love it, and it unfortunately I've been on both sides of this kind of I. Man, it wasn't too long ago that I was, it was just a culture I was raised in that you could pray away anxiety and you can pray away depression. And it's because of a lack of faith is why people fall into that. And my mind didn't uh, start to shift until actually my wife struggled with anxiety and depression after we got married. I don't think it was because of me (laughs) and getting married to me necessarily. <laughs> but but I mean there's there's correlation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there is. But it, it was a combination of getting married, moving away, a ton of things happening, and I realized quickly that my theology around this was more damning than it was giving of life, and that the stigma around depression and anxiety was completely wrong from what I was going through. And it, it it is interesting because there is still a subset of culture in America. We've progressed a lot, but there still is a subset that still hold on to those beliefs that I said. And I, I believe in prayer and I believe in um, the ability of God to change people. But a lot of times God changes people through medicine. <laughs> so, <laughs> or, or good quality food and exercise. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah, I I think just changing, you said something, and we don't have to talk about this now, but it's just changing the narrative of what depression is. And when you can change the narrative of something, uh, your mind can change. Yeah, that takes me back to episode, like to to the very first episode with Meg Cowan, actually, because she she really launched into that that idea of changing the narrative from her experience of being sick girl to then being future girl, mm. right? And what future yeah. girl is, and that I think the, the the idea of changing the narrative, or when I'm working with coaching clients, I'm always talking about okay, what's the reframing? If we simply looked at this from a different angle, if we thought differently about this. What are some of the other narratives that we can find within the circumstance or within this this story? And if we adopt those narratives as opposed to the story that we that we're telling ourselves right now, what then might change in our world? I actually had that with a client just last week. Um, you know, he's a um, he's a business owner and uh, went through um, you know uh, lost a client unexpectedly and kind of went right into this narrative of I'm in survival mode right now. You know, like all of a sudden. And my business is on the edge. What am I going to do? Uh, and we spoke. Um, we spoke at length about changing that narrative. Like the reality being, actually, the business is in a totally survivable position. The business is not at threat, but moving out of that narrative from, oh my goodness, everything, my whole livelihood's at risk to 
everything that I've learned in the past six months is going to make my business better and stronger moving forward is such a powerful pivot point um, to remove anxiety and to step out of stress mode, which then, you know, sometimes you don't make the best decisions as opposed to, you know, okay, I know where I know where I'm at and I know what I've got and now I can make strategic decisions to move forward. You know, I think that same kind of lesson applies when we're thinking about mental health. The trouble is, you know, so often because we're not having the conversation about that, we don't have mm. the opportunity to reframe the narrative and we don't necessarily let other people speak into it, which I think is the other super powerful thing that, that happens when we open up that conversation and allow other people to say, well, I see it differently. Can I can I share an example of my favorite narrative story? Please do. So I'm the king pair two cities here, and I want you, Tosh, to pick which one you want to live in. Mm-hmm. So city A versus city B. So city A had an economic collapse after a major car industry left. It has historically high crime rates. The We're talking about house- Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> we no- <laughs> It sounds a lot like Detroit, but we are not. The medium okay. household income is well below that of average in America. And for almost every year, for the last 15 to 20 years, there's been a decline in population. That's City mm-hmm. A. Mm-hmm. City B. It just re- revitalized their downtown and their streets and resulted in $95 million in business revenue. Mm-hmm. They're constantly being named a top 10 place in America on the rise, places to start a business. It's a tech and startup hub. The mayor has been mentioned in several articles from the New York Times about potential presidential runs, and there's hundreds of millions of dollars being poured into the community and downtown area. Which city of those two would you want to live in? (laughs) Come on. I see where this is going though. I um so I uh, so I, I love the underdog. I want to vote for city A, but tell me this honestly, are they the same city? They are the exact same city. <laughs> the exact same city. You're too smart. But you get you get the idea. When you I change do. your narrative, when you change your lens, when you change how you look at something, everything changes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that it's that ability to to move out of here's everything that's going against me to here's everything that's going for me, which is I think for which city are you talking about? South Bend, Indiana. That's where I live. Oh, there you go, South Bend, Indiana. Woo hoo! Um, I I've, I what what car company left? Studebaker. Studebaker uh, <sighs> was one of the only companies to go from wagons. To cars, and they made that shift um, during the revolution—not revolution, industrial revolution. I don't know when it was, but you can see a Studebaker. <laughs> you can see a Studebaker in today's commercials for Budweiser. So that big mm-hmm. wagon that the Clydesdales are hauling—that's a Studebaker. I love like you're talking like anybody listening to this podcast is watching Budweiser TV adverts, and if you are, like, hey, there's no shame in that. I'm just like, I love, I love that cultural reference. Um, I know Studebaker because I'm a classic car nut. That's, Shut up. Are yeah, you serious? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. We have we have uh, we have a long history of being petrol heads in our family. My uncle actually has worked in the motorsport industry for his entire career in Indiana. So there you go. This is amazing. Look at the connections here. <laughs> uh, it's because it's a small world. It's a small world. It's a small world after, after all. all. <laughs> uh, uh, Tosh and I, you guys don't know this listening, but Tosh and I are going to do a stand-up special. It's airing on HBO in 2019. <laughs> it's going to be great. Wait, uh, can we just say maybe t- maybe 2021? <laughs> 21, 2021. 
right after Trump gets elected again. Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, we. Um, That's a joke. I'm not a Trump supporter. Everyone calm down. <laughs> but all voices are welcome. All voices yeah, are welcome on The Transformationist. Uh, 100%. That's so. I mean, this goes kind of into check out this for a transition. This goes right into Daryl's episode a little mm-hmm. bit because yeah. he talked about um, how both sides. He was specifically talking about men versus women and both sides having more open dialogue and how nobody is listening on either side. They're just speaking a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to that and I I thought that's just not a man versus woman issue. That's just kind of a cultural issue uh, in the United States at least right now. Mm-hmm. And everyone's talking at each other, and there's no one. There's no one willing to pull up a chair and just have a have discourse, have have common courtesy, and have a have a talk. I was just at a conference, um, a community development conference in Chicago, and the speaker said something along the lines of, "If everyone is included, that means having the LGBTQ community pull up a chair." And everyone went crazy. Of course, you know everyone's pro that there, and. In the next breath, he said that also means having people that are wearing Make America Great Again hats at the table as well. And you could hear a pin drop. Because no one, I don't care what side of the aisle you are on, no one wants to have that common discourse and that common communication. Nobody's listening to each other. We're being told that, you know, men need to express themselves more, come out and share their feelings and talk about their problems and all that sort of thing. But we're also living in a society which is bashing the shit out of men at the moment. And, and saying that, oh, no, we're not going to listen to your problems because they're not as uh, they're not as bad as our problems. And it's like, well, why are you comparing? Why are we comparing problems? You know, and I think that there needs to be more discussion about both sides, you know, I mean, more open discussion and the ability for everyone to come out. We, we, uh, women are coming out and talking about the problems that, that men have been um, giving, but no one's really and we're all listening. We're all listening. We all have to listen because it's there and in front of us. But no one's really listening to the other side. No one's really listening to the male side until it's too late. And it is too late for a lot of people. And we're seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is problematic. For sure. But so, I mean, I can get... And look, let's not. We we don't have to beat around the bush here. This you know this season has definitely had some uh, some advances down theological pathways, um, and that's just by nature of of my background and also the background of some of the people on the show. Um, but for me, the that is a that storyline, that place that we're at in culture, and one of the reasons why for a season two, I'm really interested in talking about more cultural transformation stories, is that from that 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 him versus her, they mm-hmm. versus us narrative is something that for me I think goes all the way back to um, the Garden of Eden story. Now, whether you want to take the Garden of Eden story as literal fact, um, I'm not wanting to exclude any of my creationist brothers and sisters, um, or you simply want to... Spoiler, it was not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or... um, or you want to just take it as like an allegory, a creation sort of story, you know, what have you. Um, one of the things that is, um, one of the things that happens in that story is you have this idea that there are these two humans, Adam and Eve. Um, by the way, how interesting is that scientific journal article that's recently come out saying that actually the majority of humanity descends from just two human beings? What? Yeah, I did not see that. 
uh, I'll have to send you a link. It's it's going to be interesting. That's going to it's. I'm sure it's going to come up in uh, in conversation over the next couple of years. But you have these two human beings who um, rely on, and whatever your whatever your religious persuasion, it, translate this in its simplest level to two human beings who rely on their relationship with a higher power to understand how to navigate the world around them, uh, and then they. They eat the apple from the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens there is that all of a sudden, Adam and Eve have this knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And what happens at that point in the story, and I think however you want to read that story, this is the vital thing to know about humanity, is that from the very beginning of our story, we have been on a on a escalating exponential journey into categorization, uh, which is that we we understand and we process the data that we encounter, the information that we encounter day by day, on the basis of whether or not it's in the good category or in the bad category. Is it good? Is it evil? The, and, and as we've processed more and more data, we've had to come up with more and more categories, but all of those categories are subcategories of is it right or is it wrong? Is it good for me or is it bad for me? And now, like 2018 heading into 2019, we are processing more data than ever before. The sheer number of data points that get thrown at us day by day mean that we have to rely ever more, increasingly so, on our ability to categorize and to categorize that information quickly. So I think that is the th- that's the problem that's at the heart of what Daryl was talking about, right? We, we, yeah. we can't have a conversation that's really getting to the truth of what somebody is saying because we don't have the time or we don't allow ourselves the time to actually sit and to listen and to engage and to then understand how can I understand the story that somebody is telling me without putting them into a box of right or wrong or good or evil. And until we learn how to do that, then I think, you know, uh, there's a bunch of stuff that's off the table. One of the conversations that I'm really excited about for season two, Michael, is um, a guest that's going to be coming on the show, Andrew Marin. Um, Andrew Marin first, um, first, well, became a friend, but also um, first kind of came to to my attention through his work, um, his reconciliation work between um, the church and the LGBTQ community. Um, there's a photograph that often gets shared around Pride Parade time um, of of a group of churchgoers wearing t-shirts offering free hugs to members of the Pride Parade, um, and that actually happened in. Chicago and Andrew is the guy that's in that photograph. Um, it's now awesome. some 10 plus years old. But his work has since gone on to be all about reconciliation and all manners of world affairs and cultural affairs. And so once um, uh, once it was kind of limited to this little subset, but I'm so excited to have him on the show next season to talk about how reconciliation and how listening to each other can actually create transformation and culture because that's what I feel is the thing that is most needed and missing. Um, I talked about that a bit with Daryl. I was on an episode of his podcast where we talked about the same thing that that there's I think there's a there's kind of a especially in the era of like Me Too and the Harvey Weinstein issue um there's a bit of an there's a bit of a desperation i think from from a culture that loves to progress to just kind of deal with it find the solution and then move on but if we've learned anything from uh the reconciliation talks after the genocides in rwanda or uh, race reconciliation in south africa after apartheid it's that there has to be a long period of listening 
uh, before you can actually arrive at resolution or even agree to move forward. Reconciliation and resolution are not necessarily tied together. You know, it's not nece- you can't necessarily always guarantee that you can resolve all of the terrible things that we've done to one another as human beings um, in order to be reconciled. But so that's something that's coming up in season two that I'm super excited about because I feel like we've opened a bit of a door to that conversation and I want to keep having it. I there's so many things I want to touch on what you just spoke on one going back just a little bit. Um, I think in Daryl's episode, I think one of the the problems I see with culture is that need that desire to fit everything into a um, good, bad box. And what I've, what I've tried to learn um, over the last several years is just the idea of the, the non-duality, the, the non-dualistic. And I, I think that's, until we can progress as a society um, all across the world, that not everything is as nuanced as yes or no, good or bad, I think we're going to constantly be butting our heads because we have, for some reason, we have to have some kind of perfect framework that everything fits into, and that's just not life. That's just not how things work, <laughs> and that's that's what gets us into trouble a lot of times. Um, so there's that, and then the reconciliation, like that's just... I think that that leads to liberation and that's, that's good news. I mean, that's to me the gospel at its purest form, not to be over spiritual, um, (laughs) which I, and I don't want to alienate anyone, but that's, that, that is good news. Anytime reconciliation can happen. I I think that's what we're ultimately going for. Yeah. Um, And maybe, maybe it's just the stinger is that, um, that, that the church or religion as we know it hasn't, hasn't, I was going to say hasn't necessarily been, but but perhaps more truthfully, you know, it would be hasn't ever been um, the the birthplace of of reconciliation. <laughs> yeah, they're often unfortunately dragging their feet at it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we it, we will not spend the rest of the show just dragging the church through mud. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, and 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 look, there are a lot of podcasts that are devoted to breaking down what's good and bad and right and wrong with the church. I mean, certainly we'd be remiss not to mention the fact that we have had, you know, more than a few episodes that have touched on uh, on aspects of spiritual deconstruction and reconstruction, um, and that's partly, I think, because. Uh, you know, we are all spiritual beings, and and it almost doesn't matter what your spiritual uh, what your spiritual designation is. Um, this idea that we're all spiritual beings, I think, is really important to hold on to. And so, spiritual deconstruction and reconstruction is happening all around us as we examine what do we believe, and therefore how should we live. That for me kind of comes back to that one of the first principles of this podcast, which is okay. If I changed my mind about something, then that needs to then be lived out somehow in my life. Um, And if I'm going to change the way I live, then I also need to change my understanding or my perspective on that situation. Um, Does that feel fair enough? (laughs) That's super fair. uh, Check out this transition. What, uh, What was one of your favorite episodes talking about deconstruction or evangelicalism in general? Uh, well, that, that's a, that's a twofer for me. It's hard to separate, um, uh, the, the interview with David Hayward, um, AKA naked pastor, um, his story of, of being in leadership and then moving outside of, um, Christian leadership is pretty powerful. I was in the fishbowl for years being observed. I couldn't do anything wrong. 
publicly or privately, I would be found out and I'd lose my job, right? So now nobody cared. Nobody cared what I did or how I behaved or, or what, you know? And so the, there was this whole moral dilemma where uh, I wasn't being watched. Who cared, you know, uh, what I did? Mm. Um, that, and, and with marriage, uh, our marriage almost didn't make it because uh, all of a sudden I felt like I didn't want to be responsible for anything anymore. And then um, last week's episode, um, which um, is with uh, Dr. Michael Frost, <laughs> um, that his story of moving from um, growing up in a fundamentalist Pentecostal Christian household and then um, kind of moving moving into a bigger version, a bigger, better version of that in his 20s. And then um, I guess one might say, you know, the, the, the veil coming off um, the blinkers coming off as he um, worked, realized and worked through the reality that a system of religion that was primarily based around um, that was primarily based around power um, wasn't working for him. And so that's a, that for me was super powerful. One because it's a story that that I think happens all the time and people yeah. don't realize it. Um, there's a there's a moment in that conversation um, where we dived into the history of actually the formation of church as a, as a socio-political structure, which happened with uh, by Constantine in, in sort of around the fourth century, um, where, where really, you know, the church was organized as a way of controlling and maintaining social norms. And so well, from- Absolutely, that's why Constantine actually make Christianity legal. <laughs> yep. Which I think is, um, you know, that that is a, a for, for most people who are engaging in some sort of everyday practical Christian spirituality, they don't necessarily, that's not necessarily a part of the story that gets talked about in Sunday school, you know? Um, so that for me was, was probably, was probably the two, the two standout moments. Um, and one of the things I love about, about David Hayward's episode, episode two, um, is just simply that he that he's able to share so openly about um, whilst his journey took him out of the church, it hasn't taken him out of spirituality and, and out of that role of kind of shepherding and helping support people through their own spiritual deconstruction, which I think that, that to me was, was very encouraging. I love it. One of my best friends hasn't been to, he left the church, hasn't been back for two years. And I would say he is a more spiritual person now than he's ever been. So Love, I loved the David episode. Absolutely loved it. Any other favorites? I remember actually um, texting you after, I think it was the David one, maybe, and talking about deconstruction. We were slacking each other. I love slack. And uh, you said something like, yeah, that's fine to deconstruct, but not everything you come from is bad. And that's something I've had to hold on to over the last several years. Um, I don't even know if you remember saying that. Um but that's that's something that I've had to really teach myself a lot recently that not everything that I've left behind in my past, whether that's religion or whatever, is necessarily garbage. So, <laughs> well, so I've learned a lot from from David from you in that. Well, uh, cheers. Thanks. That's great. That's good. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, that comes back to the categorization thing for me, right? Is that yeah. when we start to pull something apart, the tendency to either to either or it, right? It's yeah, either all absolutely. good or it's all bad. Um, 
do you think, uh, what do you think if you were to introduce the, if you were to introduce the podcast to somebody, you know, Ooh. what do you think the, yeah. How do you think you'd do that? What do you, th- what do you think the key takeaways are or, or the key things that people are, are hopefully getting out of it? I'm interested cause I know what I want, but I'm interested to, I'm interested to know what you think. Well, I was going through and I made mental notes and literal notes for every single episode before this. And there's like two words that keep coming up a lot. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you've done this or not. Um, but curiosity mm. and create and creativity both are almost in every single one of your episodes. Um, and so the the combination of both of those and how to create what that means to be creative and how curiosity links with that. Um, I would I would say that and. And how that relates with your whole entire being, um, how curiosity and how we are creative beings. I mean, we, I, I, again, I don't want to over spiritualize. I think we were all created in, we bear the image of a creator. So we are creative beings in and of ourselves. So I, I think that theme runs through all of your episodes. Mm. And I, that's, um, you know what, I hadn't made that observation. Certainly, certainly that's something that as soon as you say it, I'm like, oh, of course, of course it does. That's very, that's very by nature me. My very first website that I ever built um, for myself um, had a quote from Albert Einstein, which said, mm. never lose a holy curiosity. Love and it. yeah, if, phenomenal, right? Because that's how we discover and it's how we enter into learning. And I think in this, you know, it's impossible for me to separate the idea of transformation, whether it's for a business or for an individual um, or for a community. Uh, it's impossible for me to separate the idea of transformation from the idea of learning, learning about ourselves, learning about others, learning about the world around us. And, and the thing that serves learning better than anything else is curiosity, the ability to ask a good question, um, which I think is, um, and questions are beautiful. Uh, some questions are stupid, but <laughs> but but most most questions are beautiful. Jeff uh, Crabtree said this. He said, curiosity is where it all starts, and then it moves to seeing something, and that moves us to being open. Mm-hmm. And so it, it all starts with that curiosity, and then that leads to inspiration. And so it's, yeah, your your entire season whether you knew it or not, was all about curiosity and creative. Curious people are creative because there's, they're always searching out. Because if you're not curious, then you're not, then everything is the same for you. Nothing is changing. So curiosity is where it starts. And then the next part of the creative process is, that, is, a, is a moment of actually seeing something. So first of all, I'm curious. Then I'm, now suddenly I'm seeing something, which is about being open. It's what often uh, people who are sort of, I suppose, amateur in creative things or who look at creativity from the outside think, talk of inspiration a lot. You know, people will say, you know, what inspired you to do this or what inspired you to do that? But the reality is, is not so much inspiration, but I just saw something. And of course, if I'm vulnerable to seeing things because I'm, I'm filtering information less and I'm able to make connections between things because I'm doing fluid thinking and I was doing something I hadn't done before because I'm a risk taker. You see, that puts me in the zone for being able to see things. But what would you say that you were hoping, uh, if you were to introduce your your podcast to people, which I'm sure you're doing on the reg, 
that's short for regular. Um, what would you say it is? Uh, well, now that you've said curiosity and and creativity, I would certainly uh, I would certainly talk about it. For me, I would just I would just say these are stories of how people have transformed and are embracing transformation. And maybe there's something you can learn from that to apply to your own life. And I think that's because you know we're naturally curious about. Oh, there I go again. Um, we're naturally curious about other people's stories and we and I think we look to find ourselves in other people's stories, you know? Yeah. Um, whether you're watching a TV show or a movie or reading a book or listening to somebody else, we're, we're always listening to find ourselves um, in a thread of what they're talking about. Um, what just, uh, when, you were, when you were talking about um, Jeff Crabtree's episode, the bumper episode, uh, he, really, he really is such a brilliant Australian. Um, when we when you were talking about his episode, you know, I realised that uh, that's something that Al Keating said um, in his episode about his path to becoming a CEO. And of course, he's you know super creative person um, in a very in a very normative normative kind of business function. Um, but he talked about that openness as well. He talked about that that ability to see and to notice something. And I think that's that's kind of how I would introduce this show as, as always. It's this idea of we're presenting and telling people's stories, giving them an opportunity to share their experience because uh, there's something in that that we can learn and apply, you know, to our own thinking. Um, something that um, that came out of uh, Libby's episode, um, again, when, when Libby gets going talking about the process of making bread, um, she talks about uh, she talks about the fact that often when you're making sourdough, you need time for the flour and the for the starter and the flour and the water to just kind of sit together and get to know each other. And I love the idea of, um, of the stories that we tell and the conversations that we have on this podcast are opportunities for people to meet new ideas or have a little bit of openness to notice something that perhaps they haven't noticed before and just to have a little bit of time for those ideas to sit together and to resonate and then hopefully to to bring forth some kind of meaning down track you know and in an ideal world that's what's happening and and then somebody's going to say hey I, I listened to the story the other day and and here's something that stood out for me and you know here's here's something that that maybe will stand out for you that's kind of what I'm hoping for and that's what I love about podcasting. I mean, because it is that. It's the sharing of story. And so so what you're saying, though, is this episode is not that, though. <laughs> well, this, this, this episode is like the cheat's guide to season one. That's true. That it's, is true. So this is like the, the better version of season one. If anyone wants to know what this ep- show's about, just listen to this episode. <laughs> It's the cliff notes of here are all of the things that we hope you noticed as the show went on. <laughs> oh, that's uh, awesome. But tell me seriously, um, podcasting is your business, right? It is. It is my business. What What got you into podcasting? Because it would be remiss of us to finish this, this episode without giving you some due credit here. I mean, sure, I work as a transformation strategist and coach, and that's the theme of the podcast, but the podcast wouldn't be what it is without you. So what is it about podcasts that gets you up and going in the morning? It's a great question. And that response is also a good stalling tactic. Um, (laughs) We've only heard it. We've only heard it a dozen times this season. (laughs) I know. No, I, I don't know where to begin is why I'm hesitating. So I don't know if you want the cliff notes versions or what do you want from me? Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> the microphone is yours. This is this That's... is. Think about this as a practice for your first stand-up comedy session. Okay. <laughs> so I have to be funny. No pressure. Um, <laughs> so we'll go back. We'll go back a little ways. Um, I got my undergrad degree in youth ministry and biblical studies. Again, sorry to over spiritualize your podcast, Tosh. That's on me. Um, did ministry for a long time and got a master's in theology. And through that time working in higher ed, I started my own podcast with a doctor at the college I was working with. And through that time, through that process of working in evangelical land um, and working where I was working, I came to realize through a number of processes that I didn't think I wanted to work there anymore. And I also thought maybe I could start a business um, because I'd been podcasting for four years. That made me an expert, right? And that was sarcasm. That was that was a joke that I'm going to need to work on because it didn't land, evidently. <laughs> and um, so I remember being at my computer and typing up my resignation letter email and not sending it and just sitting there shaking and nervous and I'm sweating and I'm like, am I really going to do this? Am I going to quit my job that provides a lot of stuff for us, housing and all down the line? Am I going to quit this to start a business because I've helped like two people start a podcast before in my life? And I couldn't live with myself and not try it. I Because I, even before then, I was all about people living good stories, people doing things um, that stretch them, that, that just push them crazy-like. And I couldn't have this inkling and this, this gut feeling to try this and then just not do it. And so I, I sent the email and I quit my job with one active client and... Oof. And I jumped into starting a business. I remember going to a coffee shop uh, a couple weeks later um, in the transition period when I was still working there. And I was like, well, I better get a website going. So I built a website. And that's been almost two years ago. And we're, we have our hands on, I want to say, almost 50 shows at this point. Um, we hired someone to do sales. We have someone doing all of our socials. I have technicians now that edit shows. So I'm my goal for 2019 is to be hands off of the company outside of managing. Um, <laughs> you mean this which, will be this will be the last time that that you offer the producer notes on a season <laughs> of the Transformationist? It, I don't I don't want to say that. I will Tosh. I will always <laughs> I will always produce your show. But I, I'm slowly. My background is in theology and. In ministry, and so I'm learning the ins and outs of what it looks like to try and run a successful business, and that—that's what we're doing. I the can I reframe? Can I can I take a moment to reframe? People often say this to me. A number of clients that I work with are actually people who are moving out of theological vocations into other types of vocations. Now, partly that's because that's a journey I've been on and I think people feel like, oh, I can I can trust her with that. But, but if I was to reframe for you momentarily, you know, theology is at best, and you'll hear this, um, you'll hear this, and Michael Frost actually said it, and I thought it was a great way of saying it. Um, you know, the business of theology is at best making an educated guess about how we think things might work in the world mm-hmm. around us. Uh, and, and, Really, if you think about it, theology is people sharing their ideas about how 
things might work. And that's the essence of a lot of what podcasting is about. It's people sharing their ideas about how things might work in various niches and very various, you know, uh, segments of society. But this idea that storytelling is a meaningful practice that's been part of the human experience since day dot is something that I don't think you should, um, you know, disqualify from the reason why you are in fact qualified to do this. Absolutely. So you want to, you know what a bookend is, Tosh? Mm-hmm. So, so check out this bookend. So you're talking about stories and I think some of the greatest teachers in the world use stories to communicate. And so when I left, I wanted to be a part of people sharing good stories. And that's what TruthWork Media is all about is helping you share your story. And the reason, the reason I want to be a part of that is because I believe if that we get enough good stories out in culture, good stories out into the world, we help shape the narrative of culture. And through that, I truly believe that if enough good stories and enough positivity gets out there, we can start to see that change. And so the narrative is going to change because of this podcast and all the others that we have our hands on. But mostly mine. But mostly yours. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, That is is a great bookend. Well done. Round of applause. That was great. I'm I'm a producer. I thought about that like 20 minutes ago. Just been been sitting on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about season two. Um, for a minute because there are a few things that I'm really excited about. Um, A couple of them I've talked about. Some of the guests that are going to be on the show are going to be amazing. Um, Bryony Gordon, who is an author, um, she's written several books and she has her fourth book is on the way. Um, But the book that I read this year that really was impactful to me was her book, Eat, Drink, Run. Um, It's the story of her um, drinking a lot, training for the London Marathon and doing some phenomenal work in raising mental health awareness in the United Kingdom. So she's going to be uh, early, one of our early guests in season two, and I cannot wait for that episode. I'm so excited. Um, but there's also a, a little bit of a shift that happens. Um, the stories of this season, I reached out to, um, to somebody who's also going to be a guest um, in season two, and uh, the, it was the greatest thing in the world, <laughs> for me anyway, um, is that I emailed him and said, I would really love to invite you to be a guest to, to, to come in and to talk about how economics and trade can actually help change communities and can help um, benefit people socially. Um, and he said, well, you know, sure, absolutely. I, and then he said, I've actually listened to a few of your episodes and some of them have been a bit more personal than I'm used to. Um, and so I was, you know, obviously delighted that 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 already listened to a few shows. I'm not going to lie, I blushed a little bit. Um, <laughs> but but the introduction of some of these ideas is, I think that you know, the it's a bit of an expansion to the transformationist portfolio. We've definitely had a focus this season on personal stories, and I want that to continue. But I want us to extend our reach into how can we transform community, how can we transform culture, and so um, we're going to be introducing um, some some more people from the hospitality industry, which is something I love. Um, some amazing chefs and some incredible um, uh, bartenders and kind of cocktail experts. Uh, some writers uh, and yeah, I'm just super excited about it. 
super excited. Um, but there's one thing I wanted to um, to ask uh, of um, listeners um, and people who have enjoyed the season this this so far is that I'd really love to hear your stories and your feedback. I'd love to hear um, your stories about transformation in your own life, um, whether it's a small thing, whether it's a big thing. It doesn't have to be related to the Transformationist podcast in any way, shape or form. I'm just excited about uh, sharing and telling and understanding and hearing more about the way transformation is happening in in the world around us. So um, from this week, you can head along to the Transformationist website, thetransformationist.org, or you can join the the group on Facebook. Um, Just search for the Transformationist podcast. um, And there's places in both spots where you can um, share your story. It's uh, it's as anonymous and confidential as you'd like it to be. But I would love to hear from you um, as we uh, take a little bit of a break for the Christmas season. And then uh, we'll be swinging back into it in 2000. 2019. Are you excited, Michael? I cannot wait. <laughs> do you have any wise words to leave us with? I do not. Uh, yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> I always, I always have more to say. Uh, but That's, now it's built up, and, and it's not even going to be worth saying. So I don't even know what to say at this point. Okay. Well, how, I, okay. I'll, I'll round it out. Um, if there's one thing that I have uh, learned through my years of working in transformation and with people, but has especially um, been been reminded to me in this season of the transformationist, it's that uh, asking a good question and being open to seeing things differently will always expand and open your horizons beyond whatever chaos or crisis you might find yourself in, or even if you just want the opportunity uh, to do a better version of life than what you're doing asking a good question being open to new ideas and looking at different ways of seeing the world around you is the heart of what of where transformation starts i'm so excited that you've been part of the season this far i hope that you will join us as ever please uh rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts if you have if you haven't already subscribe and share it with somebody who you think could benefit from the transformation journey thanks so much and we'll see you in season two Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transformationist. We hope that the journey doesn't stop here. For more information about this episode and materials we referenced, please visit thetransformationist.org or join the Facebook group for more conversation about this week's episode. Just search for The Transformationist by Tash McGill on Facebook. This episode was written and produced by Tash McGill with production support from Truthwork Media and music is by Hans Van Vliet. The Transformationist is brought to you by Solar Feeder Consulting and TashMcGill.com.